there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. In terms of just the culture, Saudi is football mad. We're talking about 60,000, 70,000 people sold out every single week. Now what Saudi are trying to do is they're trying to accelerate their growth by bringing in these big players, but whilst also investing loads into grassroots. Is this going to cause a problem for these European teams in terms of holding on to their players? Who are the casualties from this league for you? Do you think there's a player in that Man City squad that can go on and do better? If he doesn't leave solely because he wants to break the Premier League record, I lose so much respect for <laughs> Hello everybody, welcome back to The Ripple Effect, second episode of a big week in Europe. We've already done a podcast with Nicky Hawkins from West Ham Fan TV. It was fantastic, good to catch up with an old mate, bloody love that guy. And fingers crossed, you're listening to this after West Ham have won the Conference League. This podcast will be about a couple of things. So first of all, of course, we're going to have a look at the Champions League final, how that one might pan out, what could be the ripple effects from that as well. But I'm really interested to chat to my guest about Saudi Arabia and the influx, obviously, of money that they've already got, but the money that they're going to give to some of the best players in the world and how that could affect the sort of global game. There's so many different ways that this could play out. So I'm fascinated to chat to my guest this week. Rimedy, Rimedy, how are you, my friend? Your second appearance, well done. Thank you're right you. up there in terms of caps. You're uh, second, I think. Wow. Yeah. This, this is a this is a big moment. This is a moment. I mean, I, yeah, I'm I'm at the top, believe it. <laughs> um, and uh, Lawrence, I think, is second. But yeah, okay. uh, second time on. Looking forward to having a good chat with you. We had Boovy with his interference before, but now it's just me and you <laughs> to have a proper chat. I'm only joking, Boovy. You know, I love you. <laughs> the word of the week for this podcast: intent, giving all your attention to something. So we're going to do that on two things. But in particular, yeah, the, the sort of Saudi Arabian League is fascinating. I know you've put together a, a video, which I haven't had a chance to see, but it'll be out and it'll be in the description Thank of you. this. Um, so go check that out. Go check out Ribbity's stuff. It's really, really good. That's why I keep asking him to come on to the podcast. <laughs> um, but let's start off with the Champions League. We'll get to that because mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating. The Champions League is often the crescendo of a season. And as most crescendos go, it can often be the culmination of something beautiful or the sound of a door slamming shut in your face. For Inter and Man City, it will be the difference between a good and a great season. And the glory from winning it will have long-lasting effects. We're also going to talk about how the direction of the Saudi League will affect the global game and what that means for what we currently know as the top five leagues. So let's start off with Man City. We're a few weeks on. This was the last time we spoke, you were still sort of dreaming of... I know, I think you'd given up hope, hadn't you, of Arsenal winning bit. it. You're a big Arsenal fan. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Man City going into this game, which would you know give them a treble, obviously? I think Man City, you know, I, like I said this to my friends, I think this version of Man City are probably the most complete we've seen under Pep. Of course, they're probably better teams. So we, the Centurions, I think they call it the Formidables yep. of the 2018-19 that won the domestic treble. But all of those teams had this, I don't know, this weak point when it, when it came to like defending counterattacks. 
how many times have we seen Son just running through on goal and scoring in the Champions League or in league games? And I think this season with Pep's new system, the system that everyone wants their, for their own team now, like you just see on Twitter. Has he pinched that though? <laughs> I he's pinched know. it a little bit, don't you think? He's stolen it a little bit from De Zerbe and he, he's tried to talk quite sort of whimsically about De Zerbe. So, they, I mean, a few ripple effects straight off the bat. First of all, I think you're right. That's the word I keep hearing is complete. I think... Because the problem is when we're having all these dominant forces year after year and within the same club year after year, you're trying to find new names for things. I don't know what, I wonder what the, I guess they're the treble winning team of, it's that, isn't it? I was going to say, what is the ripple no, effect of, the, what's their there name? Needs, there needs to be, yeah, there needs to we be a better name. need something brand worthy for, for Man City well, if they, they can, go and win they it. They can let us know They can let us know. They can, they can. Um, so that's one thing. Yeah, Man City, I think you're right in terms of being complete. Do you think we get a little bit caught up in the, in the sort of uh, fever of any great team when they're doing well. Do you think, or, or is it just like simple, you get your certificate of like, here's a trophy, here's a trophy, here's a trophy. If you have three trophies, then it's unarguable, if you know what I mean. Because we both know that, I think certainly uh, what I've seen in the last year is just more and more debate about the greatest, that word, the greatest. And this Man City side kind of come into that conversation now. Do you think, you'll be able to pick a thread at this team in a couple of years' time. It's hard. It's honestly, I'm it's struggling hard. a little bit. I've got to be honest. You, because you could just... Any argument would just be ended off with, or oh, they won the, the treble. Free. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, nothing else to say. But look, I think, yeah, if you compare it to maybe other teams when you had the Sarnes, the Sterlings, both high-flying wingers, everything was just a joy to watch. I think things are different from that. So maybe people will pick on the fact that maybe this City team aren't as enjoyable as the other ones I don't know what enjoyable is I don't know how, like, I think uh, it's yeah. there's do you know what's the problem is that so for example Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones you're only as good as your ending okay <laughs> so like Succession recently I don't even watching that and I won't spoil it for anyone but the, the ending was was I thought was impressive that's all I'll give away and and so it then goes into you then have the conversation of is this one of the greatest TV series of all time is this better or not? and when I was listening to a podcast recently the watch which is a ringer podcast with Chris Ryan go listen to that they were talking about where you know where does it stand and the way they kind of got to that point a big part of it was the ending of the story as we know as content creators the story is kind of everything mm-hmm. so with man city the one thing i'm and it's not a it's not a critique at them it's actually probably what makes them the greatest is the fact that this ending is kind of boring, <laughs> isn't it? It, it is. There's it is. no tempo changes, really. Now, series one to six were great, but series seven, <laughs> Arsenal, Arsenal are, are making this team less memorable. In what way? Because they they threw away a great ending. Ah, okay, got it. Got we, it. You know, we got to that three quarter point ah, of it. the story arc, mm-hmm. and Arsenal just like there wasn't this battle for the end. Yeah. There was, yeah, I understand that. I understand yeah. that. But yeah, I understand it. Um, because Man United, so yeah. the, the team that they're getting pitched against is Man United, mm-hmm. understandably, right? But Man United had so many different moments. That made it more dramatic. And the fact that they came through that makes it more epic. And if it's more epic, then that makes it feel greater, at least. Man City, again, it was good for a while. But I explained it to Nikki before we started recording. It felt like a drag race 
where you've got Arsenal and Man City and whatever is made of the car of Arsenal, they've got their foot down. You had your foot down, didn't you? And it was the idea was, can we can we get over the line? We've got our foot down. This is the best we can do. Man City always kind of felt like they were sort of gently going a bit more, a bit more, a bit more, a bit more. And then when they really went for it, just cruised on past. So I do think there is a ripple effect in terms of the lack of late jeopardy that makes it harder for us to feel like this is a great team, which is completely unfair. No, it is. is. But I think this is why we go back to this whole complete thing, because complete teams shouldn't have if you're like the best team and if you win every single week there shouldn't be no last minute winners yeah there shouldn't be these moments you you just go in do your job go home that's it and i think that's what this city team is compared to like the centurions everyone remembers i don't know jesus's lob over was it fraser forster against southampton mm. and then everyone remembers company's goal but this season i think it's just been a, a level of consistency especially in this second half because they were off, weren't they? Exactly. they? They were off. But again, when you zoom out now, you kind of go, oh, you must feel like he knew what he was. Do, do you think he did totally know what he was doing? No. I think, or he was just no, playing the long game? No, not in terms of he didn't know what he was doing, but he was tinkering and trying to find what worked. I was at Stamford Bridge earlier on the season to watch City Chelsea. And this system was pretty much identical. But instead of Ruben Diaz having that deep, instead of, yeah, instead of Ruben Diaz, it was John Stones. And that centre-back defensive mid position was Rodri. Mm. So Pep was still tinkering. And then I think right wing, it was Cancelo. Right back, it was Rico Lewis coming inside. And the system was there. but And then we had a trial of Bernardo Silva at left back. It was just Pep yeah. really trying to find what worked. And then he settled on the fullbacks as like wide centre-backs. And yeah. And then well, the that's it. History. I was thinking about that. It's, it's actually... And and this will be an interesting thing next season. If there is a, you know, you have this idea of a pivot player. I wonder if next season there will be, I don't know what the best, I guess hybrid's the obvious word, that every team will have their hybrid player. So for Man City, it's John Stones, but for Liverpool, it's Trent. Like whoever, there'll be one player who always makes that that move and are playing within two positions. Because that's, that's something we've not really seen for, or not sort of regularly with all teams but I think you've, you see it all the time something happens somewhere and everyone else will copy mm-hmm. it and next season there, there's a video in this like every single Premier League team is going to yeah it's going to have yeah <laughs> copyright of JLA that there's going to be one player that's going to be that hybrid player that's going to play in two positions because it's I think the game as someone who's so tactically astute we're getting to a point where Players playing in in a position is not enough anymore. Yeah. There has to, do you know what I mean? Yeah. We're getting to that next level and that next mm-hmm. level. Is that something that you feel like you've seen this year? Yeah, hundred percent. Even like we could talk about Zinchenko at Arsenal. Like he starts off on the left, comes like, come, comes inside against Everton. He played in sister Bukayo Saka playing basically right wing. Mm. So yeah, I think as football evolves, things are just becoming way more fluid, but in a structure. And I think that's what worked so well for Arsenal at the start of the season because there were so many fluid rotations. You see, I don't know, um, Bukayo Saka pick up a position on the right wing and in the same move, he'd be at the left wing or the centre mid. So, yeah, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that. And I think the the, the amount of analytics that are there, people were, and data, you know, the video obviously that's there on every team is that everyone gets figured out so quickly that you have to find a new thing and a new thing and a new thing. Or just be completely... Or, like, 
have the players that are just completely better than everyone else's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Because I think that's the thing that I've... The thing that I can't stop seeing when I watch Man City is my eyes sort of glaze over a little bit. And it's the sort of... I can see, like, lasers in between all the players and the, <laughs> the geometry of them. That's the thing. That's the thing that is makes them so complete for me is that there's no real way to get a kind of overload back. They're always in the right positions as a as a collective all the time. That's the thing that I'm just blown away with. And and maybe that's what wasn't there in those sort of mm-hmm. January months where there was just maybe not that that complete chemistry that there definitely, definitely is right now, which makes it very difficult to see them not winning this game at the weekend, which then leads us to being slightly not as excited as we as we could be, which <laughs> yeah. is a shame, really, because mm-hmm. you've got Inter Milan there who, I mean, that's a... The problem is the story is, is Man City losing, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's a stronger story, right? Unfortunately, but yeah, I think Inter... I think Inter pose a bigger challenge than all of us think. I think um, when, I, when I look at uh, Simone Inzaghi as a coach... In terms of knockout fixtures, this guy is one of the best in the world. Just setting your team up for a one-off game, for a one-off final. I think this guy is probably one of the best. He's up there with, I don't know, maybe it's hyperbolic, but your current Jose Mourinho's or that. Just how he's able to really drill the system or even Unai Emery when he was at Villarreal. So just really drumming in a system and making sure every single player knows what they need to do for that one specific match. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I mean... I do feel like we're clutching a bit, mm-hmm. if I'm honest. Uh, and I think, again, I'm always sort of aware, hyper aware of our, our world. I'm not saying you're doing this because you've not done it yet. But I, I think sometimes there's a natural urge to be the guy. <laughs> do you know what I mean? To be, be the guy. Well, oh, no, actually, I think that no, and you, if you call into doing it and you say it with your chest, then actually you probably, you know, that that's going to look cracking at the, at the end of the week. <laughs> that's a clip, yeah. And I'm not saying you're doing that, but yeah. I think, uh, are you saying to me that, do you truly believe that this is a closer game than the... Because I'll be honest, mm. I, I, I just can't see it. No, I can't no, no, see no. how Man City don't win I think, I think City will win, but I just think like it won't be a, a, push, a pushover as everyone expects because Inter are a good team. I want to say they're the best in the world. I want to say they're as good as, I don't know, the Inter teams of prehistoric times. But I think this Inter team are good just in terms of what they need to do in a final. And they have a lot of experience as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I think the problem almost they've had is that they've not, it's not that they've not beaten anybody, but they, their run to the final has mm-hmm. felt far easier than than Man City's. I mean, obviously, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid. And I sometimes I always have a belief that you kind of need to go through those battles to know where you've got to mm-hmm. go, literally in that moment to win a game like that. And that's where I've got, I just have this feeling that Man City are going to actually catch them quite cold for, you know, in terms of them being able to break them down because I'm not sure they're like used to the pace of Man City. In terms of Man City, he's not, Pep is known to sort of never stand still and he's often changing a winning squad just to keep it fresh. Regardless of what happens in this game, and actually probably not in spite of it, but it, would it fast forward, getting a treble, would that fast forward sort of more changes than than people would probably expect? Because I think he certainly understood that need to continue to, f- to freshen up, be ruthless and, and move people on. Yeah, I think... 
one thing that has been really interesting to understand about Pep's evolution is how much importance he puts now on like I don't know the English side of the game in terms of winning your battles, winning your one v ones, winning all of that kind of stuff. So maybe, he's really gone all in on that, hasn't exactly, he? Exactly. Exactly. So I think maybe this summer Pep is going to go like really arrow in on those kind of players. I know at the moment they are interested in Declan Rice, which would be a game changer for them. But also we could be seeing the departures of certain players that are integral to the system. So Bernardo Silva, Gundogan is out of contract as well. So I don't know, maybe this summer could be one of transition for City as last summer. That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> transition, yeah. you reach the peak. <laughs> no, but that's it. Like you, you have to, you cannot plateau. Mm-hmm. Because I think, it, bizarrely, do you, do you think Man City will be this strong next year? Because I think there's like a ripening of a team, right? And that happens o- over time. So, for example, I think Man United are kind of at the start of that journey, but we can see it ripening a little bit. Arsenal, I think we saw elements of it in the second half of that season and then we saw it really go. Now the concern is how do you kind of like pop it in the fridge mm-hmm. so that you can, <laughs> so that you can have a good have a go next yeah. season. Man City, like I was looking at their their squad and it's amazing in terms of the, the way the recruitment has gone. Those, the amount of players that have been there, I think even Rodri, it was 2019 when he came. Jack Grealish was 2021. One. Yeah. But prior to that, they're all, they've all been there since 2015, 16, 17. Like Stones, you know, Gundogan, De Bruyne, all those players. So at some point, you've got to move it on. But what is actually even just as scary, probably, two things. One, I saw Pep signed a deal to, to 2025, I think. But also... When I look at the ages, the average age of the the team, I think in the cup final was 28.9, which is peak. But then when I looked at it again, I was thinking, oh, we must have some old boys in here on the way out. And this might, maybe we can create some cracks here. Yeah. They're all sort of 28. The bulk of them are 28, <laughs> 29. Gundogan's a bit older. Mar is a little bit older. De Bruyne. It's very, De Bruyne is a little yeah. older as well. So in terms of those changes, do you think the difficult decision he will have here is of those older pieces, Gundogan is one who's just scored two, nearly scored a hat-trick in a cup final, has been just wonderful recently. De Bruyne, another one, who's a little bit older there as well. Do you think he would be brave enough to let either of those go? Or do you think he's going to hang on to those? Like, of all these fantastic pieces of this beautiful sort of mosaic of a football team, like who who are the guys that you see being moved on or moving on or yeah yeah so maybe Riyad Mahrez because maybe he's probably not getting the minutes as he wants I can probably see a PSG moving that um, yeah Gundogan is tough because I know Cancelo is the obvious one yeah of course of course I I actually forgot about him but yeah um, he's won two two titles this year it's crazy right Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think Gundogan's a tough one because I think the leadership he offers to that midfield I, and I don't really think anyone in that team can currently replicate what he does just in terms of, I don't know what, I think Gundogan is, I always say, I think he's like a unicorn. He can play in the Rodri position. He can play as like the number eight. He can get into the box and score goals. It's it's a really hard dynamic to replicate. So I think... Is this, you know, yeah, people talk about be players being underrated or mm-hmm. rated, right? Where's Gundogan now? Do you think this is his moment? This yeah. is his moment, right? I think well, now he's fairly rated. I think up until this season, he was significantly underrated. People just saw him as a goal scorer, but now people are really seeing his impact, especially how City have transitioned this season. I didn't. 
I didn't get it until last year. <laughs> last year when he cut, like, I was like, it was, uh, do you play fantasy football? Yeah. Right. So last year, he just, just you were kind of going, okay, well, you scored one. That's enough. Stop. So, and he just kept week after week after week after week. Like his timing of his runs, his intelligence. Like if he wants to be, he's just surely an amazing manager. Like <laughs> such an amazing manager. I know Jose Mourinho was talking about recently about Xavi Alonso and, you know, the managers that he's played for the players that he's played with, the countries he's played in. Gundogan, maybe not to the same level as Alonso, because when Mourinho explains it, it's pretty impressive when he's you know, been at Liverpool. You've, so you've dealt with that kind of football in Rafa Benitez. You've gone to Real Madrid and had, you know, the shithousery of Mourinho, then gone with Pep and Bayern Munich, another country, another league, another culture, and just, you know, been fantastic in all of those. But uh, yeah, I think he's, he's so, so impressive. But you, that's the thing as well, is when to let go. Hmm. I'm so intrigued. I think I wonder if I wonder if he's getting to a point with this team, and we saw it with Liverpool, where there's the sort of Hendersons, Milners. They went, no, one more year, one more year. I wonder if he is he a genius enough to let those guys go? Because you could say the same about Man United as well. Man United had you know Skull stuck around for a long time, Neville, like those kind of players. Do you think he would be? Do you think he's brave enough to get rid of those guys? Or is the likes of a Carl Walker, who's 33, actually, probably one of the oldest in the squad, I think, and Gundogan, do you think Do you think he'll stick or twist? No, I think Pepper's quite ruthless. I think he's I, a twisty yeah. guy, isn't he? Yeah, I yeah. think Pepper's quite ruthless. Like, if you think of... I think one thing's crazy. If you compare the Liverpool team of 2018 and the City team of 2018 and then compare it to now, it's just night and day. I think Klopp has that similar thing to Arsene Wenger where... He just loves the players too much and has that loyalty mm. when certain players that shouldn't really be there anymore are still there. They're still playing significant amount of minutes. I think Pep is completely different. I think when you see Pep, when you see when he really, I think Pep sells players just at the right time. I think Jesus have sold, what, 45, 50 million. Haven't really missed him. Zinchenko mm. was sold 35 million. Haven't really missed him. Sterling as well. People will say, oh, why did he get rid of Sterling? Well, you can see it now. I think Sterling doesn't really look the same physically as he did maybe two or three years ago. I think they may be extracted another 50 million out of it. Do you think there's a player in that Man City squad that can go on and do better? Because I think with Sterling, what you would say is, I think he's unfortunate in the sense that he's gone into an utter (laughs) flock of bees mess. Whereas... You know, Man City was getting those tap-ins. You get those tap-ins, you get that confidence. You get the numbers that you need to to look like you're a good player. And I think he is a good player. Uh, Yeah, I'm intrigued. Because the other thing as well, in terms of those players, I think it's one where if it was me, I'd be like, like if I'm good to one, I'm like, it's probably not going to get better than this. But how much worse is it going to be anywhere else? Because this team's not done. This team's got two, three years, maybe, yeah, maybe even more with it, because that's what's interesting in terms of the, the rejuvenation of the the team. You've got Erling Haaland, who's twenty two, Foden, who's what twenty, I think, twenty two, yeah, he's young. Grealish is still young enough. Rodri's twenty six. Yeah, I saw that recently. That's I couldn't horrible. believe it. That's absolutely <laughs> horrible. They, I think that like their moment of like going past being ripe is a sort of a year or so away. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of changes they make. Uh, in the in the summer, but I think it is one where you don't go unless you moved on. Although Bernardo Silva keeps flirting, he's always kind of wanted to go. That's a, that's a weather thing. He doesn't like the Manchester. Yeah, 
Like that is, I think that's one where you you forget the weather when you like when you move somewhere else and you. To be, just not to as be good. fair, to be fair, he's Laporte been, maybe. Or... Yeah, he's been linked to uh, PSG and Paris's weather isn't too dissimilar from. <laughs> that's true. So yeah, that's true. Uh, on the Harland conversation, we did a podcast with Nubaid. You know Nubaid, right? Yeah, of course. And uh, we were talking about the Ballon d'Or and who should win it if they win the treble. Does that mean that Haaland has to win it? It's between Haaland and Messi. It seems there's no one else knocking about, really. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much... Uh, it's a Ballon d'Or just on this season, or is it more so a calendar thing? It is... Yeah, it's kind of more a calendar thing. It's So it's from, like, Oct... I think this year we, we saw it. Um, we were breaking down the criteria of Ballon d'Or. <laughs> I don't know if you listened to that one. But it is a really good podcast, actually, to listen to, just because... I don't know what yours is, you know, whoever you are listening right now. What your criteria is and what you need. It's a mix of moments and output. And also context is kind of huge with it as well. And I was, he was saying that it has to be messy because of the World Cup. So within that calendar year, I think he's just about got it. Yeah. Uh, he can still have it. But if Haaland, you know, if Haaland scores a hat-trick in this, which is totally, you know, possible. Yeah. Where do you sit on the, where do you sit on the Ballon d'Or in terms of what you like from it? And where do you sit with, with Haaland as a player? Because oh. I, I think, again, it's sometimes, <laughs> yeah. the problem with Man City a lot of the time is, how do we find a new conversation when it's so complete? Kind of coming back to what we were talking about earlier. And the same goes for Haaland. Like, are, are we trying to pick bones, you know, pick problems in in Haaland? Yeah. Uh, or is he just the best player in the world? Right? I, yeah, I think, like, I'm guilty as well. I think when things weren't going so well for City, we were really trying to create a narrative behind it. Maybe Haaland's the reason, maybe yeah, it's yeah, this, yeah. maybe it's that. But when everything clicked, what's there left to say about Haaland? Best scorer, best finisher, all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think this year, I think it'll be messy just because of how important the World Cup is. Comes comes around once every four years, but maybe the next three or four years, I think it's Highland or Mbappe's or one of them two. I think that's it. Does that take away from... Because I feel like the Ballon d'Or over the last 10 years really sort of built up in terms of people wanting it. Mm-hmm. And also, I think generally, sort of football fandom, people are following players as much as anyone else now as their profiles get bigger and we sort of Americanize it a little bit. I love that, by the way. What? I love the Americanization of it. Oh, what the idea of like following yeah, a player or so. Why do you it. love that? Maybe maybe it's because I'm a bit younger compared to like the general football fan, but just the concept of a player having their own brand, right? And just having that little ownership of who they are. And you like, for example, we'll speak about it later. But Ronaldo moving to Saudi, a whole flock of fans moved there as well. Uh, it may be a bit more toxic, which is not good, but I just enjoy it. Joy, that's so interesting. It's not something I've ever really thought about. I think I root for certain players. Mm. I think the problem is, I do I really? I never. I'm not sure. I root. For, I guess you root for the club because you want them to win. Yeah. So who are your guys then? If you if you're supporting a player, who's your player? No, I, I don't really have one. It's just but Arsenal. If you had to, <laughs> oh. where did your head go? Oh yeah, so Dan Juma was like one of my. <laughs> no, I love yeah. that. <laughs> Dan Juma, Dan Juma was one of my favorite players, and then he went to Tottenham. I was like, I, can't, I feel so uh, conflicted. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> tough. See, that's the problem, isn't it? So every time, like for example, I think Dan Juma he scored against Bournemouth. I was like, let's go, Dan Juma. And then I woke up. Are you an Arsenal fan? I was like, oh man. What did you like about Dan Juma? Just like him as a player? Yeah, just liked him as a I player. I like that. I rate yeah. that. See, that's interesting. <laughs> See, that you'll start to what it will say a lot about you as a player. As a, sorry, as a, as a person, yeah. the, the person that you pick. I was surprised you didn't go for a kind of superstar there. Yeah. That's nah, interesting. Also, also, I follow Celta Vigo. Um, okay. Completely random. Like, I followed them a few years ago and this Gabri Vega guy. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah Killer. Re- I really like, he saved us this season. Yeah, I linked, I put him to go to Arsenal. I think he'd be a good fit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were we talking about there? Uh, what were we talking the about? Americanization. 
yeah, in terms of those big players mm-hmm. moving to... Oh, Ballon d'Or. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Getting mixed up. Yeah, if you give it to Messi when he's not totally earned it. Now, I did see a tweet that in terms of national goals and uh, club goals, his, his goal contributions are actually only a couple off Haaland and Mbappe. I did see that on Twitter, so I'm not totally certain that's true. <laughs> but do you sort of devalue the competition of the Ballon d'Or if you give it to Messi just because he's so loved? Uh, yeah, but, you say you're not having it? Uh, no, 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 no. I hear it because... But it's the Ballon d'Or. Like, the, I think it's France football that award it. But to be fair, France football and Messi, like, they don't like. True. Uh, also, the again, when to move on? Mm-hmm. When do you move on from from Messi and from and from Ronaldo? Uh, from Ronaldo? Maybe now is the time, the passing of the torch to to Haaland. I mean, after a treble, that's what we said in that podcast was that for Haaland to win it, he kind of needs the treble and all of these mm-hmm. bits because I think what's interesting it'd be interesting to see how people talk about Haaland in a year's time. If they just can, they sort of, um, what's the word? Not elevate, the opposite, sort of reduce Haaland's goal scoring to a role. Now, I know it's the most important part of the game, but he is that final element of it. And again, that doesn't sound like anything original. But I think as we sort of go further and further into roles and, you know, tactics and stuff like that, I wonder if we kind of see less in him because he just scores the goals. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd love to know people's like importance top five when it comes to Man City. Yeah, is um, he? Would you put him number one? Uh I think so. Would you? Yeah, I think for me, oh, it's him or Stones. For me, that's interesting. Yeah, just because of how, like, how Stones completely changed the system for Pep in terms of what he's able to do. But obviously, Haaland, yes, he scored all the goals. Yes, See, 100%. The, pro- the problem with that debate is the fact you... T- so what, the way I'm doing this, and guys, if you want to do this yourselves with, like, with your top five, you like put out that best Man City team and then take out that piece. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of goals. Yeah, <laughs> like, that is a lot. That's like over 50 goals. So that is a problem. Yeah. But... You know what it goes back to? You know what it goes back to? I think Haaland... You know, growing up, everyone had their favourite for like Ronaldinho, Ronaldo, Messi, that kind of stuff. And everyone, this is like the blanket level argument. People always say, oh, yes, yeah, the enjoyment of the game, enjoyment and that kind of stuff. And whilst Haaland isn't the most aesthetically pleasing player on the eye, he gets the job done. He's just a bit brutal, isn't he? I think that's the thing. There's not the sort of, it's not suave. Not like Benzema. For yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not that romantic, is it? It's just quite... There's a Viking aspect to it, I think, with him. But yeah, top five for me, just off the top of my head. I'm not sure what my order is, but I think I kind of go, I go Haaland, Gundogan, De Bruyne, Rodri. Ooh, I forgot about him. Ooh. I've got stones in my head. But do you know what? I, I think you could get away with taking stones out and put Diaz in and you'd yeah. still be okay, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think that'll, that'll be my... Maybe De Bruyne... Oh. I, I don't know if De Bruyne is in that top five for me. Really? I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. I'm, oh. Because Stones is a shoo-in. Rodri's a shoo-in. Gondogan's a shoo-in. Haaland's a shoo-in. Then I'm torn between Diaz and De Bruyne in terms he, of this jo- season. De Bruyne is a great example. But people hate this, but it's true. And I saw it in that sec- uh, second leg of that semi-final. Mm. He was on his arse in the second half. Yeah. On his arse. If, and I saw him for Belgium in the World Cup as well against Canada. He was great, but if he, he didn't have the players around him, who's he playing? Bat Schwein's playing yeah. in front of him. And poor bloke, I could see it in his eyes. He's just like, bro, like, will you please just um, move? I remember De Bruyne him. had to come deeper to pick up the ball. And that's not really De Bruyne's game. But he's he also better. didn't want... He, 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 you could see him see the pass yeah. a 
I want to play the pass, but I don't want to play the pass to you because you're just going to waste this. I think yeah. he actually even scored a goal back right? somehow. <laughs> He's kind of that kind of player. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of a drop-off, I think you could have that. But also a team that isn't as dominant on the ball, you could see something De Bruyne. But in that team, I think he still... Absolutely. This season, I think he still stepped up when, when it's been needed. Absolutely. Do you think Man City continue with that 3-2-5 next season or do you think they go and sign a left-back? Do you think they will revert to that? No. Do you, do you think I, it has been needs must in terms of the, the left back element? Or do you think it actually just, he sees this as the future? No, to be fair, I remember seeing links with City and Kieran Tierney. Um, this was maybe a few weeks ago. I don't know how legit. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I don't know how legit it is now. But yeah, I think maybe they want to sign one just so that they can change in between. So they don't have to always be rigid with that type of Nathan Ake at left back. Yes. Who has been? Yeah. Amazing. Yes. Interesting if he starts. Yeah. Uh, Final thing, kind of move it on to England in terms of a couple of players. John Stones, Rico Lewis, in terms of the way that they have played this season. And then obviously we're seeing it with Trent, we're seeing it with a lot of different players. Do you think Southgate's going to need to move towards something like that for next year? I think, I think so. But the problem is international football is everyone's coming in with a different playing style. So Jordan Pickford comes from Everton. They play a bit longer. And then you have all of these different players with different systems. Like even Harry Maguire coming from United. United system is completely different to cities. So are the players adaptable in such a short period of time mm. to to adapt to a new system where fullbacks invert, wingers hold the width and go 1v1 and that kind of stuff. So it's harder. So I think with international managers, they just have to find the best approach that just suits everyone and just like a, a 7 out of 10 for just every, every yeah, player yeah I hear what you're saying the one thing I do I could see John Stones doing it if you think of that back four that Man City have the problem you have is the left back so with Man City you have Akanji or Ake if you're going for this similar sort of you know cookie cutter like for likeness the left back maybe this the ripple effect of this is Dan Byrne is on his way into that England side yeah, I was going to say Tyrone Mings oh, Tyron, do yeah. you think Tyrone could sort of drift over to that left hand side and kind of be a left back yeah perhaps. totally sure about that perhaps one. yeah but Dan Byrne certainly can do that <laughs> yeah, right can. so Dan Byrne we've got him as a left back maybe <laughs> or maybe yeah maybe we, we can figure this one out yeah. but you, I could see John Stowe stepping in mm-hmm. Declan Rice plays as Rodri role mm. Bellingham a bit more box to box a bit like Gundogan maybe yeah interesting times it is uh, how do you see it playing out the the final itself no if city don't complete the treble i i personally can't believe it i think inter will put up a fight like any team does but to be fair we saw signs in that final the fa cup final that city they were just on their last legs it looked like do you think yeah i think there were certain moments where people just making too many mistakes like rodri for example i don't know if you saw a video there was a period where rodri just lost the ball he started dribbling from his own half into the attacking third. He lost the ball and Rodri just fell to his knees. He just like he was he looked so shattered. Really? And then Pep couldn't believe it either. He fell to his knees on the bench as well. Yes, that's so right, yeah. yeah, I think but obviously this is one last game and everyone should be really like excited for it, but yeah. Do you know what I think is interesting? It's not at the Etihad. Mm-hmm. They're so good at the Etihad. You do wonder if that will play a part in it. We need to talk about Lukaku a bit as well. Yes, we haven't. Because it kind of... I would love to see him. <laughs> I Honestly, I would absolutely love... Because I, there's a lot of sort of hatred around him. And uh, look, he made... I get it from Chelsea fans' point of view because he made, he made a stupid mistake with a stupid interview at a stupid time that was totally unnecessary. And I think that's something that these players need to kind of learn is that there's so much media available to you and you can do interviews... But 
you got to know you got to be smart enough to know that people are going to pick it up. That's really hurt his career. Mm-hmm. It's really, really hurt his career. Do you, if he can score a winner in? Imagine this, man. <laughs> if him, if that interview leads to him obviously going to Inter Milan yeah. and scoring a goal, do you think he could maybe still have a future at Chelsea? Because he's going to have to go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't see why not. I think the problem is I mentioned it in the last um, ripple effect. Chelsea, Chelsea and attackers just do not work. So maybe with Pochettino coming in, he can just create a new system. But one thing I realize about, like sometimes realize about Lukaku is when his weight is good, he looks amazing. When he's lean, when he's like on form, and sometimes when he picks up a, like a few pounds, he he just doesn't really seem the same player because he's so insistent on being that counter attack, relentless pace, that power. And he looks a bit sluggish when he gains that extra weight. We saw it a bit at Man United. Mm. We saw it a bit at Chelsea when he. So yeah, Inter have managed him very well, and I just it'll be amazing to see him score. I would like I do am <laughs> rooting for Lukaku. I do like him a lot. Mm. Do you know, uh, Nima, who was on a podcast we did about Serie A, made a really interesting point about him as well. It's like this guy's been playing at the top level for, since he was like sixteen, mm. and you know he's a big guy. Like he's got a lot to sort of move around. Mm. So like as the years progress, there could be something in that as well. Big, big night for, for Inter Milan. If they can get the uh, the win, it would give them 100 million in terms of total earnings wow. from the Champions League, which would be That's really huge. important for them. Because they are, in terms of, again, go back and listen to that podcast, guys, if you get a chance. Because we sort of have a look at the sort of revenue streams in Serie A. It's so much less for Inter Milan. And they've been trying to kind of stick with these billionaire owners and kind of bring in these players or have a mix of those kind of players and they're struggling a little bit. So it's, it's a bigger game than you would imagine. It kind of feels like, oh, it's all revolving around Man City and look, we're Premier League fans. You can understand why we've kind of gone down that road. But for Inter Milan to, to be in that final and to possibly win it, they're, you know, they're a club that kind of needs investors. There's talk of, you know, you know, equity being given to certain people because they can't pay their debts and things like that. So a lot needs to occur for, for Serie A and Inter Milan to sort of go again but with Napoli having a bit of a wobble mm-hmm. since them, uh, they won Serie A I wouldn't be surprised if um, Inter Milan kind of came back but there's going to be a lot of change there there's a lot of players that might be making a move uh, you've got Martinez Denzel Dumfries always linked with Man United Barella I think would be really good in the Premier League mm-hmm. Bastoni as well would be fantastic as well so it's going to be an interesting one there's a lot of players that are going to be moving from both these teams. And I think that's always an interesting part of a final is that there's a lot of players that this will be their last game. I think with Man City, we're just struggling to figure out who exactly that's going to be. Right, we're going to have a little break. But after this break, we will be talking about the Saudi League and all that money and what that could mean. Right then, guys. Champions League, parking that. We're going to uh, head over to the Middle East now and the Saudi Pro League. So much talk. We are in transfer season now. And by the way, just to say, the ripple effect will be continuing throughout the summer and obviously the focus will be on some evergreen topics at times, but also a lot of transfer chat. As you guys will remember, the uh, JLA OGs, you'll remember the ripple effect started as a transfer show. So we're going to be getting back to that. So again, make sure you follow the podcast so that you get the latest. We're going to be diving pretty deep, I think, on players moving to certain clubs, but also the ripple effect of that, which is uh, exactly the reason why we started the ripple effect. Anyway, yeah, the Saudi League. So Benzema, what a roller coaster. Talk about ripple effects for for, for, uh, Remedy, who 
and I was just sort of keeping an eye on his Twitter all week. Going, <laughs> he had a video it, it, ready to go. It was about Benzema leaving, what that means. Will it happen? Will it? It won't happen. And Benzema goes, well, what's all this? I'm not going anywhere. Then, you know, when was it last night? The night before? <laughs> Benzema has officially left Real Madrid. It's done. And uh, is likely to be heading this to the Saudi League in a deal worth £350 million. Pounds. Wow. So... I just wanted to get you on just to kind of explore all of this, but kind of paint a bit more of a picture for me. I think you've done a bit more research on this than than I have. And also, I think there are natural parallels with the Russian league and the money that kind of got, got chucked in there or chucked about in there, the Chinese league as well, and what the future will be for this. And actually, even say MLS back in the 70s as well. It's a very interesting time because we kind of have our top five leagues, but also in terms of the sort of how the talent is sort of moved around all those leagues it does feel like they've sort of been gently being pushed into the premier league and the premier league is very dominant in that sense and that is you know put the noses out of joint of you know Serie A, la liga and that's why we're seeing things like the super league knocking about as a, as a proposition so for the the saudi league to sort of come in with its strategy i think is is absolutely fascinating let's talk about benzema first how do you feel about him moving there? Now, Ronaldo, of course, went first. Messi is being linked and we it's a straight up call between the romance of Barcelona, if they could even somewhat afford him. And we can talk about that if we need to or just take the cash because it's there. But Benzema moving, that was the first one. We're like, oh, there's a lot of these guys that could be moving. How do you feel about the Benzema move? Yeah, I think I think it's slightly different to the Ronaldo one because... Although Ronaldo obviously is one of the greatest footballers of all time, at United we knew that this was probably Ronaldo's last big team. But Benzema, he's still considered as one of the best players in the world. He's literally the reigning Ballon d'Or winner. Correct. So, yeah, I think this was a huge... Um, it was just a... It was, how do I even explain it? Like, reading the news, it was such a crazy moment because you're thinking, OK, maybe Benzema has a year left on his contract. Maybe next year is when he moves. But he said, no, nah, I want to move now. So yeah, want that money <laughs> exactly now. But it's also it's also interesting from the Madrid perspective because they were planning for Mbappe to come next summer. So the plan was for Benzema to stay for one more year. Benzema can leave next summer. Florentino Perez shakes his hand, thank you for all your service of fifteen years, which it would be next year. And then Mbappe comes in and it's his team and it's his project. But now they've just Benzema leaving now has thrown a spanner into everything. But this Mbappe thing. Mm. So two things. First of all. When he signed the deal last year, there's all this talk about him having like real power in terms of who the manager was and, and things like that. Is that just nonsense then? Because if you're going to be there, you're going to, surely you're going, that means surely you're going to stay here for five, six, seven, eight years, whatever. Yeah, I believe the contract that he signed was, was for two plus one years an option. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure about this whole power thing. That's what was reported. But Mbappe's dream is to go to... Real Madrid and I think even the Prince of Qatar got involved with Mbappe staying like he said you can't leave now especially with the World Cup that was going to happen in a right. few months from then so I think it was just more so a case of okay Mbappe you, yeah Mbappe you stay now in a couple of years time you do whatever you want just stay just please for now and we'll give you everything okay second thing with Mbappe on the pitch he doesn't play the Benzema role he plays on the left. Vinicius Jr. plays on the left. So, although he was, you know, you, you're going to let Benzema go next year, 
you still were going to need two strikers anyway. And also, they need to figure out what they're going to do with Vinicius Jr. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a lot. It doesn't it's make a, sense, really, does it, for lot. me? Because like, I, so I have said numerous times, and I, I'm going to keep talking about it, because if this <laughs> comes to be, then I look great. The Harry Kane to Real Madrid shout, yeah. I said that ages ago. <laughs> I said that absolutely ages ago. Yeah. For him to be the sort of stopgap. And actually, for me, the stopgap was actually more for Haaland. Mm-hmm. Because Mbappe's never going to play... Well, he can play through the middle. He can play wherever he wants. He's amazing. But I don't see that as the sort of natural next step. So Benzema was going to go regardless. So yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, it's it's crazy because Mbappe, like you said, does not want to play up front. In a match against uh, Reims earlier this season, he was playing at the top of the, the top of the trio with Messi right, Neymar left, and I think they drew nil nil. And he posted an Instagram story saying hashtag Pivot Gang, and pretty much what that translates to, I think in French, maybe that pivot means the striker that holds the ball up brings everyone into play and Mbappe hates that position right like if for France it's Giroud doing that role Mbappe could just run in behind okay so just in terms of squad planning I think Mbappe is all they see is just like a tunnel focused thing so and then when they get Mbappe they're like oh we still we'll have Vinicius yeah we still have Vinicius here we still have Rodrigo maybe let's see maybe let's try work something out but it's Mbappe your boss for Florentino Perez next summer right and, and so the stopgap in between the Harry Kane thing does look a lot tastier now, it seems. For, for or people. it could be Kai Havertz. Oh, God, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. What on earth? That is insane to me. I mean, Chelsea would be going, yeah. How much Like, how much do you want for him? Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that he's just proven that he can't be a central striker as well. Yeah. But yeah, to crazy. be fair, to be fair, just before we go back onto the Saudi thing, maybe Spain, they're more so, like, they rely on their technical abilities rather than the physicality. So maybe... Spain could be the right environment for Kai Havertz to thrive in. We have not really seen it in England. Go back to the thing about Chelsea. Attackers do not thrive at Chelsea. So maybe we can see something different. I guess what it probably comes down to in terms of the Harry Kane side of it is he will cost a lot more than Kai Havertz. Kai Havertz costs around, I want to say 70-something yeah, maybe. Around that. So we should see what he would cost now. I believe the fee was touted at like 60. Okay. So, okay, I get it. As a striker... And, and to be fair, do you know, a year ago, we were all talking about how he can fill the shoes of Lukaku. So I'm sort of wary of going after any Chelsea player, really, because they've just all been so bad. Yeah. Same goes with Mason Mount. I think when people are going after Mason Mount, like saying, what does he do? Like, well, he's done a lot when the team's solid. But if you want to pay that little bit extra, you have got a sure... The thing with Harry Kane is it is a sure thing. And he'd be perfect in that little Benzema role. Getting on the ball, playing Vinicius Junior. You don't really have to change how you play. If you, if you brought him in, I really hope they go and do that. Like, I, I, you don't think they will, do you? No, Kane, Kane's staying to break the record. The, the, I don't the, believe this the, break the record stuff. They, they reported it recently. I'm, I, I think Kane's staying. He doesn't want to leave England. If Kane leaves, I'll be so surprised. If Kane leaves the country. If he, if he doesn't leave solely because he wants to break the Premier League record, I lose so much respect for him. <laughs> so much respect for him. That's not what it's about. It's about sing- singular nights. Like, I literally just had this conversation with Nicky about with West Ham. It's like you go through, like, constant, you know, day by day, okay, a goal, a goal, a goal, great. But you want a goal in a game that matters and you yeah. then get to lift a trophy. That's what it's about. Harry, come on. <laughs> right, back to the Saudi. <laughs> so the deal proposed to Benzema by Saudi was that uh, he was allowed to pick a city and pick a team that he wanted to join with the money on the table being the same no matter what he selected. 
that's a really interesting method of bringing players in to, to other leagues because that other leagues can't compete with. Because I guess if we look at saying like, you know, I'm not picking on Newcastle, but it, it's been a problem in the past, supposedly, that people don't want to move there. I'm sure it's a beautiful place. But so that's a problem that they don't have. In terms of the different cities, mm-hmm. what is your knowledge of of the country? Yeah, so where Bentham is rumoured to be going is Al-Itihad, yeah. which is the, the home, like... Current it, champions, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they just won the league in Saudi with a crazy turnout in terms of their attendance base. But where Cristiano Ronaldo is, he's in Riyadh, which is the capital. Jeddah is where Al-Itihad is based and it's more so on the coast. So okay. you have a beach, you have that kind of stuff. And also what's really crucial about Jeddah is as Muslims, we we obviously pray to Mecca and Mecca is like maybe 20 minutes on the train from Jeddah. So maybe Kareem Benzema is going for that reason as well. Yeah. So, And I think the environment in terms of Jeddah as a city is really building up. Um, there's a, like I said, there's a beach there. So if he wants to take his kids out to the beach and that kind of stuff, it's a really relaxed life. So there. have you spent a lot of time there? No, I haven't spent too much time there. Sure. But I, like my family, we originate from that region in general. Okay. So and I've spent a lot of time in the Gulf in mm. terms of holidays and that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's that's the Jeddah's being seen as the tech capital of the Gulf world, which is where Benzema is going to. Okay. So yeah, it's interesting. And from like cultural point, I was at the Qatar World Cup. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I walked away feeling like I'd not really experienced any culture, to be honest, at all, because of the, you know, it was so fortunate in the in one sense that I went to 17 games at the World Cup. And so, and you felt obliged, you're like, oh, well, you can go to games, you must go to games. So you found yourself on a tube or walking to the stadium or waiting outside the stadium or trying to get a cab from the stadium or being in the stadium. So there's a lot of concrete. And I wasn't able to really sort of, yeah, enjoy that much of the culture because you were kind of on the grind of that. Mm-hmm. For what I did notice was that kind of the sort of Western um, lens of looking at the football, you know, the human rights record, all of those 100%. bits and pieces, right? I used bits and pieces, probably the wrong phrase. You know what I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. guys, right? And what I've, I kind of found is like at the same time I was going to these games and the you know there were there were fans local fans going to these games and they were so obviously so excited because they've never had the opportunity to 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 watch Ronaldo to watch these players and kind of come back to what we were talking about earlier about fans enjoying a player specifically uh, some people know me I, I will have told this story before but I went to Portugal Uruguay and I was walking to the to the ground and it was all red. And I, was, I remember thinking, if that nine was Uruguayan, the, everyone would be blue mm. here. Um, so in terms of, give me sort of a, a flavour on like, on a different lens on that, in terms of the culture of the football there and and how we can see it. Because it will be different, but how, how is it different? Yeah, I think firstly, like the human rights record is obviously super important to talk about because like no one really wants to see people building stadiums in that condition but I think what they've committed to is just really trying to improve that especially after the World Cup but in terms of just the culture Saudi is football mad genuinely so uh, Saudi plays home to three of the biggest teams or four of the biggest teams in Asia you have Al-Hilal which is where Messi's reported to move to that's based in Riyadh same as Al-Nasr where Cristiano Ronaldo is Um, they regularly pack out their stadiums like we're talking about 60 70 000 people sold out every single week 
bearing in mind, our Hilal were probably bigger than 80s and 90s and they were still getting that turnout. So these guys are go crazy about football and everyone has their Saudi team, but everyone also has their European team as sure. well. So someone could say, okay, I support our Hilal, but I also support Real Madrid or yeah, and that kind of stuff. So how do you feel about the, the patronising of fans from Saudi Arabia? Because I think the Qatar World Cup really opened my eyes and I think generally being in this space and being able to, I'm so fortunate I've been able to create a real community of people that I call friends now. And they are from Florida. They are from all over the world. And they know, they know what they're talking about. So I'm sort of wary of going, of that kind of, yeah, of that nature of like the English fan who goes to the game. Um, yeah, how do you feel about that in terms of how that's portrayed? Because I think that's something that, in terms of what I will have to ingest <laughs> when I hear talk sport <laughs> yeah. or wherever um, talk about this, will come with a sort of sneery view on it. Yeah, how do you feel about I, it? Yeah, I think like I think firstly we always have to say like we're lucky to be from where we're from. Totally. Just the just the concept of us. Like for example, you go into a QPR game like it's nothing. Some people may spend their life savings just to go to a game mm. to watch it. So I think yeah. So from that perspective, I think we're really lucky and we're really blessed to be where totally. where we're from. But yeah, I think like football is a global game. It's for everyone, no matter who you are, where you come from, that kind of stuff. And like people, someone like, for example, my, my audience base is mainly African. Okay. Like 50% of my audience base comes from Africa, which is crazy. So, and they know everything about football. They know what it is. They know if I make a mistake, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. That kind <laughs> yeah, of stuff. Yeah. So I think this whole demonization of foreign fans, oh, you're ruining the game. I think it's unfair. Because, I, do you know what I think? If I'm yeah. being really honest, sorry, I hope I haven't spoken over you there. I think, uh, so I think over the years, you, if you're aware enough and you're open enough, you will realise, you get a little slap on the face. I know I certainly have on several occasions where you go, ah, subconscious bias. My subconscious bias is like, oh, wow, it's there. And then you, it's like... It's like that, you know, the chair that's over there is that it just, well, I just didn't see the chair. Yeah. And now I can, I'm like, ugh, I kind of see <laughs> the chair now. Yeah. And I just wonder, yeah, as a, as a younger football fan, do you really see that difference between the, the older people within football media or football fans? Yeah, 100%. Because you'd see, for example, people demonizing maybe Man City fans for not packing out their stadiums. But we also have to realize that Man City have a huge local following base as well and also around the world like the only way for you to get bigger in this day and age is for money you, you have to put money towards growing your business sure. and that's what Man City have been doing and some people are like oh they're not doing it the right way but what is the right way today yeah you, you can't like they're doing everything well, obviously they have those charges pending so we don't know where things are going to go from there but from what we see they're doing things right they're investing into the community they're getting jobs houses that kind of stuff so I think, yeah, it's unfair for people to just demonise foreign fans just for, I don't know, not being born where like where the team is. And that yeah, kind a of lack stuff. of locality. That's, That's odd, isn't it? Yeah. That is a little bit odd. When you really think about it, just because you were born somewhere else, like that means you know a little bit less. That's, that, I think that is something that I think I have charged at people and, and I'm so embarrassed about. Um, so as a league, in terms of a growth of a league, you know, Ronaldo kind of went there first. And, and it's like, it's often the case... You have there's a there's this amazing viral video I remember from years ago and it was about how you kind of the first person to do something is kind of seen as a bit as a bit crazy and again we can explore this idea a, a little bit now but the first person kind of goes over and stands over there and starts dancing even though there's no music <laughs> on right 
And that person's important, right? But far more important than that first person is the second person yeah. who goes, who goes, yeah, yeah I fancy a dance. I'm yeah. going to go over there as well. Like, do you remember the Harlem Shake? Like that, that stuff was, that stuff was crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but whilst everyone's looking, looking at it and going, mm, what are these two doing? Then a third person comes, Benzema. Right, <laughs> Benzema rocks up and starts dancing over there. Yeah. And you go, well, actually, that's three quite cool people that are dancing over there. Now maybe I should be <laughs> dancing. I want to get there before everyone's dancing yeah. there because, I, and I think that's an interesting part of this. Now it is fueled by outrageous, you know, numbers. And I think the the other side of that is a bit like the live golf th- uh, thing. Don't know if you like your golf or not, but like the, basically you had the PGA, and then all for those people who don't enjoy golf. Everyone's, you know, it's your normal sort of how we see football. And then Live Golf coming on, here's too much money, here's too much money, here's too much money to the best players. And what's similar, They first of all, they've all gone because mm-hmm. they've gone, look, how often am I going to be able to make 350 million? But secondly, they, they're all a little bit older. Or sorry, a lot of them are a little bit older, but not all of them. So Benzema has come in, but when we look at the, the possibilities for the league... There's talk of this isn't, you know, the end. You're looking to bring in someone like Lionel Messi. And your Ramos is kind of being linked as well. And this kind of fits two two things. I'm just intrigued to see what kind of legs this has got and how you feel about that. Because you could, if you start to bring in all those players, that's kind of exciting. Is that how many players are necessary for it to truly take life, in your opinion? Well, I think also what we have to talk about before this is Saudi's main view of what they're trying to do. So they have something called Vision 2030. And what this is, is a project to completely modernize the country. Saudi obviously had a dependency on oil, currently have a dependency on oil. Dependency on oil. I think maybe 43% of their GDP comes from oil. So they're trying to find ways of modernizing the country that, so that they don't need to be completely reliant on oil. So they're really trying to modernize everything. So it's not just football, it's... I don't know, transport, it's entertainment, it's culture and all these kind of things. We're seeing stuff like wrestling go to Saudi sure, yeah. and like Boxing, music, con- yeah, all yeah, that kind tourism, of stuff, yeah. that kind of stuff. So football is just seen as the quickest avenue because the country is like, I think 60% of the country is under the age of 30, which is a crazy, po- like young population. Especially when you look at the whole of the world, it's an aging population. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So you have a group of young people that love sports and now what Saudi are trying to do is they're trying to accelerate their growth by bringing in these big players, but whilst also investing loads into grassroots. Uh, I believe they have a, um, a a partnership with La Liga where they send over their best talents over to Spain. Uh, they did that before the 2018 World Cup. It really didn't really work that well. Okay. But we saw the fruits of some of that labour at this World Cup because that win over Argentina, it'll be remembered for years and years for and sure. years. They almost got out of the, the group stage as well. So, yeah, I, I think what they're doing is not just mainly focusing on the older players. I had a conversation with my brother yesterday and he was saying maybe Saudi, what they're trying to do is instead of trying to get... They're, right now, they're trying to get all of these A-star types of players. But maybe that can attract the B and C types of players. And if you have all of those B and C players in the league, then it can grow more naturally as opposed to just having the best players on the biggest teams and then the smaller teams, they don't really have that type of access. That's interesting you said that in terms of the grassroots thing because the grassroots thing, obviously, is that's the long-term goal and and strategy and that makes complete sense and is 
totally necessary because otherwise really what you're doing is rehashing what MLS did in the 70s when they were bringing in like Pelé and uh, Cruyff and Eusebio and yeah. yeah and like every Harry Redknapp like, all those <laughs> players you're spending the money on oh that guess maybe that's your B or C players yeah. but the, you're sort of bringing in those players but the shelf life is so short because essentially you're watching like a Masters tournament really because they're not the best they're not the best players and they're only going to be there for a few years and they're going to move on and then you're left with kind of an, an empty shell of a league. So that grassroots element of it is so, so important. China, it felt like at the time, like they have, you know, um, infinite amounts of money to sort of, to keep this going. They didn't. The, the, you know, the government kind of stepped in and was like, okay, right, we need to sort of calm down with this. And I guess the difference with that one as well was that, you know, the players that they brought in, it was Oscar mm-hmm. and it was Hulk who were like, fine and could yeah. still earn a good wage here. Whereas... These guys, it's sort of you know, it's, it's the Messi's and the Ronaldo's of the world, and also we're in a we're in a climate now, I guess, where people have understood that in terms of sellable assets, it's it's the Mudricks, rightly or wrongly, <laughs> that those are the guys that you need to go go yeah. and buy. Um, do you think? Do you think the wealth of Saudi Arabia? Do you think it's enough to? keep pumping and getting these guys in that is your guaranteed 350 mil forevermore no i I think it's unsustainable to do that you can't always rely on old talents to come in but i think they're really banking on the fact that maybe for the next two or three years these players are completely going to raise the level of the profile of the league and i know we spoke about the top five leagues but maybe they want to see themselves in maybe a top 10 league or top 12 league and that kind of stuff so is that that's enough? Is it? Do you think? For I th- yeah, because you can't really compare to Europe. Europe has the long-standing culture. Europe has everything that a player wants in terms of the even players' families live there. So, of course, you can't really get to that level. But if you're the complete best footballing country in Asia, maybe that's enough for them because they're really successful in the Asian Champions League in terms of Al Hilal and Al Nasser and Al Ittihad and that kind of t- those kind of teams. So. Yeah, maybe they want to become maybe a top 10, top 12 type of league, but top five is obviously unrealistic. Last few questions on this one. Do you think Mbappe, Haaland, do you think Saudi Arabia could tempt those players? Because if you're going to waste that money, for want of a better phrase, you might as well waste 350 mil on a 26-year-old Haaland or a 26-year-old Mbappe. And also, is this going to cause a problem for these European teams in terms of holding on to their players? Because although there's the, you know, the prote- uh, professional endeavour of wanting to be the best and to have that career where you won all these things, you know, as I say, that Americanization of football, these, these players want to outdo each other in terms of those numbers of winning Ballon d'Ors, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's hard to walk away from money. And do you think that they would inevitably go, I'm earning 70, I'm only earning 70 million a year or whatever they are, <laughs> yeah. right? Do you think that there could be a grab for, for those players? It's uh, got to be tempting, isn't it? It is, it is, it is. And obviously we know Kylian Mbappe has links to Qatar, which is another country in that region in terms of Qatar owning PSG. But mm. no, nah, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Maybe the allure of Saudi signing these players is because they were probably at the end of their careers. But what they're probably trying to do is trying to drum up that interest so that Maybe some younger players, maybe not to the level of Mbappe and Haaland, but maybe, I don't know. Name, Do you know what it yeah. could be? Like When you think of those top five leagues, could they power it with the funds that they have to become the Portuguese league? So 
when you talk about those B and C players and also maybe young, exciting players, what we see a lot of the time, I, I in my head, I think, so a player who's playing for, let's say, Man United, okay? They're going to go on loan to a League One team. Be amazing. They're going to come back. They're going to go to a championship team. They're going to come back. They're still not ready for the Premier League or to start for Man United. So the next stop is generally the Bundesliga, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's definitely a market and a, a location for players to go and if you can make if you can swell that league enough with enough talent and pick up all those great players from Portugal or wherever you could have a mix of those to get that to the level where those you know top six sides or you know those guys with that money have got too many players in their squad go there for, for that and I guess that would be the the success that they want because like you say I think it's two things that we've kind of not spoken about here is that in terms of the, these billionaire owners coming in, and Saudi, you know, nation state owners as well, there is a business element to this where, so for example, Man City were bought for 212 million. It's now worth 4 billion. And people think 3 billion, 4 billion, like there's no, not much difference. That's a huge, <laughs> it's a billion, a billion pounds. Billion, it's a billion. <laughs> exactly. So in terms of an investment, what I think what's interesting here is that Yes, the outlay can be huge for these guys, but if you can then sort of scoop up a lot of the other guys, you can then have a league. And I don't know the number here on how you know how much money the Premier League makes each year, but it's got to be pretty sizable. So even like when you talk about that's interesting. Like we could talk about this oil money, like it's kind of there forever. The world will continue to change, and and oil won't be needed as much. So it, it, these are long term plays to create new revenues for for the country right absolutely and we forget that saudi really want to host the 2030 world cup yeah so i think that's also a ploy to try to drum up interest for that world cup as well i know that cristiano ronaldo is seen as an ambassador for that world cup you know messi seen as an ambassador and any other player like we've seen sergio busquets linked Jordi alba linked as you said sergio ramos these are big players and who've won every trophy that there is to win so these players becoming ambassadors for the Saudi World Cup, which I believe they want to host it with Egypt and Greece. Yeah, I, I also sort of read that Egypt are kind of slipping away from it. They're not yeah. as bothered, but Saudi Arabia are willing to pay for the stadium yes. in Egypt yeah. and Greece, yes. which is absolutely amazing. Yeah, that would be the first time three continents mm -hmm. are kind of used. And I, But I don't think they're the favourites at the moment. Spain and Portugal yeah. are the favourites at the moment. Also, South America, I think, forgive me if I get this wrong, I think you've got four countries, I want to say Paraguay, Chile, Uruguay and Argentina maybe yeah. uh, are looking to, to do it as well so that will be interesting it will be interesting the ripple effect from the Qatar World Cup and how hardened the memories are of them getting it and how they got it and if again what would can it be done in a really legitimate way so that we don't have to have those conversations in terms of sort of the the presence of um, Saudi Arabian money in football Let's finish off with who's, who are the casualties from this league for you? Um, maybe, for example, it's hard because, for example, we, we know about Abu Bakr, who was a Cameroonian striker. He was killing it for Al Nasser. They shipped him off for Ronaldo. Oh, right. <laughs> so he went back to Besiktas. So just those, those players who were probably like, there's also another player who plays for Al Ittihad. His name is Hamdallah. He's been, he has, a, if you check his record, he has an unbelievable record. I think it's like 38 games, 32 goals. And he has that at every single club he's been at in that region. So I think those types of players that are already there, 
that are already established and that already have their fan base. Imagine Kareem Benzema coming to take your position and he's like, well, what, what did I do? Yeah, what did yeah, I do yeah, wrong? Yeah, done nothing <laughs> wrong. That's true. Do you know what it could do as well? It could affect the sort of age range of the Premier League, of you know the European leagues. And it could be the fact that once you hit 30, you, you're not getting another contract and there are no players over 30 in the Premier League or those major leagues because they want to make that move over to Saudi Arabia to go and get their money. But also, sorry to interrupt you, maybe now... Uh, like the more money they put into it maybe they'll be like okay it's not so so much I don't I want to move for a payday but more so I want to play in the Asian Champions League and that's what maybe they want to really increase and in terms of push uh, in terms of the narrative of Saudi football be interesting if that does then broaden to again because the sort of globalization of football does it is it one where you know, previously there was that. Maybe it's domestic, d- domestic sport, and even European competitions get hurt by this, where which then leads us towards that that super league. That's not even a super league anymore. It's even it's not sorry a European super league anymore. It's even broader than that. Yeah. That could re- that could give Barcelona and Real Madrid another way back into something like that. Where we <laughs> yeah. go, okay, we don't want we don't bother about the English teams. Mm-hmm. We're gonna go. We're gonna sort of park up and have these teams around the continents, different continents, and then level that up so that you then have a super league there. Yeah, and that's really uh, that want, is fascinating. I wonder what the ripple effects of those are. I mean, <laughs> that's mad. that's not, and then all of a sudden, see, that's amazing. Then there's a regrouping of these these guys, and then all of a sudden, the Premier League could be the minnows again. Could we get to that point? <laughs> I think it's a way off. Yeah, but it's. I mean, it is fascinating to see where they go. It's the commitment for me. How long will the commitment be? Is it just to get that World Cup in 2030, or is it more long term than that? I'm intrigued. Yeah, me too. But I'm gonna co- I'm gonna be covering it like as much as I can. Okay. So, yeah. Right. So you know what to do, guys. Go check out Remedy. He is on YouTube. He's on TikTok. He's on Instagram. He's on Twitter. Thank Anywhere you. else? Oh, you got be it. real. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I need to get that. Apparently, um, guys. Hopefully you found this interesting. Please tweet me your thoughts on it. It's always good for me to, to learn, get different angles on it. Um, if you are enjoying this podcast, go check out all the other ones. Put another one out this week talking about West Ham in particular and their sort of road to the uh, Euro- European sorry, Conference League final and loads of good stuff as well. Um, thanks for listening. Follow. Five-star rating, please, on your way out. And I'll see you next time, guys.